Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Hack. I'm joined today uh, with my good friend Beth and we've got something slightly different. We're normally military historians but we're going to a completely different part of the world and era for this today. Beth, do you want to tell us some more about who we're joined with? Yeah, absolutely. As, as Marcus said, you know, we're military historians by, by trade. Um, so this topic is really quite something new f- for us. And actually, having had a look into it, it's actually really interesting. Um, we're joined by Teresa Folger Nadu, who is a historian and assistant professor at the Polish University ab- abroad. And she's head of their Af- the African research there. And where Teresa is going to be taking us today is Africa. She's going to be taking us to South Africa um, with focusing on the Indian diaspora in South Africa, which is a really, really interesting topic. And she's written loads on the subject, including a title called The Tripolar Culture of Durban, a South African Metropolis um, and Hindu Spiritual Culture of Durban. So, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to History Hack. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Just to uh, start us off, can you take us back to about 1860 um, when the Indians start to arrive? What was the uh, thought process behind it and the motivations for them coming to South Africa? Uh, yes, um, the the true um, Indian Odyssey in South Africa began in 1860. Although the um, history of Indian diaspora in South Africa dates back to 17th century when the first settlers came to Cape Colony invited by uh, the Dutch East India Company. But from 1860, um, the, uh, I can say, present history of um South African Indians began. On November 16 that year, the first British ship uh, SS Truro carrying 342 Indian passengers from Madras, India, arrived in South Africa and that um, event marked the beginning of a long and I can say painful period in the history of Indian diaspora in that region. Ten days later, another voyage of uh, Belvedere from Kolkata ended at Port Natal, carrying as well 342 passengers on board. Um, the largest group of uh, workers arrived in South Africa between 1860 and 1911, and they uh, arrived as indentured workers. They were employed by the British col- colonial government to work on sugarcane plantation 
in uh, the natal colony. Uh, it was approximately 152,184 indentured Indians arrived uh, within that 50-something year period, um, wow. uh, which marked total of 384 trips by um, the ships. The last ship, called the Amlazi, uh, arrived uh, in July 1911, and uh, it was like um, mm, it, it marked the end of uh, the notorious system of indenture. Um, when the British Empire started ruling southern tip of Africa, they began to recruit in uh, mainly sugar industry. Um, they began to recruit indigenous people, uh, and in that case, they were Zulus. Hmm. Um, although the colonial authorities were not initially aware that Zulu men considered agricultural work as a typically female work. So due to the high turnover of local workers, um, colonial authorities had to reach for the help of Indian workers, who at that time proved themselves positively in uh, other British colonies, uh, for example, in Mauritius. Hmm. The demand for uh, Indian indentured labors increased dramatically uh, after the abolition of slavery in 1834. Yeah. So um, Indians were sent some, sometimes in large numbers to plantation col colonies uh, producing high value crops such as sugar, uh, I think sugar mainly in Africa and also in Caribbean. Mm. Uh, so uh, most of the newly arrived in uh, southern part of Africa were employed as indentured workers um, on the mainly on sugarcane plantation. But uh, some of them started working, for example, in coal mines, or, while others choose to work as uh, domestic help. Mm. Um, what interesting is that uh, following the indentured workers to the colony of Natal uh, also arrived uh, so-called free passengers. They were called free because they uh, paid for their trips uh, on their own. Um, they uh, searched for the opportunities to trade or to run their own businesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the um, 1880s, about 15% of the total Indian population in, in, uh, of South Africa at that time came from uh, northern India, uh, uh, mainly from Gujarat region, uh, which is uh, located in north northeast. Mm. Uh, many of them were uh, traders, artisans, teachers, or shop assistants. So the, in a... Uh, big number they started arriving uh, since 1869 oh, so that was the main main reason why um th such a big number of uh, indians um were uh, is present in south africa till today yeah it, it was a huge number and there's still um a huge number living yeah. in those parts yeah so uh, that, that again that was something you know that's I wasn't really, I never really thought of it that way. You know, they're going as these free passengers, as you say. That's something that, that that's really interesting. Um, and as as you mentioned, Teresa, they settle in in the colony of Natal, but they do struggle to survive in this in this new environment, don't they? To you know, it, it's a completely new set of conditions for them, isn't it? Yes, that's true. Uh, 
before even before they reached the african shore uh, life for uh, the, those r- recruits uh, on the ships was uh, i can say horrendous mm. the voyage uh, towards the unknown because that was completely unknown uh, place um was very often difficult uh, there are many records of the indians being uh, for example abused uh, humiliated by um mm. the ship's captains or doctors or even the crew mm. women especially the single women traveled in fear for this day mm. um when they arrived in natal they found that uh, they found out that uh, proper housing was not prepared for them so that was the first obstacle um they started uh, erecting shacks for example uh, made uh, from the simple materials like leaves or branches those uh, uh, temporary uh, living places did not protect them for example from weather or from illness mm-hmm. uh, also medical assistance was uh, lacking it took many years before the employers provided decent accommodation uh in the form of uh, barracks uh, it was like one big barrack built for like for example four families so at the beginning the living conditions were very difficult their wages also v- were very low often they were not p- paid at all or the uh payment was delayed uh plantation owners uh often extended working hours in the uh which was very difficult uh in the heavy hot climate of uh natal um the plant plant the owners of the plantation um introduced uh, severe punishments on those who could not fulfill a large uh, number of daily duties so the indians had to make many adaptation with uh, regards to um culture religion language um dress food uh, in order to survive in the new land uh, while in foreign country they came into contact with uh, foreign culture and had to learn uh, languages uh not every uh, person could cope with the strict requirements but those who fulfill the terms of a four year contract uh at the end they became freeland owners because they were promised uh after the contracts are finished they were promised a piece of land to settle mm-hmm. uh what defined indian immigrants was their fashion religion the culture specific religious objects even kitchen utensils or spices clothes uh, that they preferred to import from their own country which resulted in spread of the development of indian trade in africa and it was that's why uh, those free passengers uh, started coming um, just mainly for the trade um coming from different parts of india they represented as well different languages cultures and traditions uh they were christians they were muslims but uh, the vast majority were hindus mm. uh, who belonged to different castes um those indentured workers uh, were generally speaking speaking uh, languages like tamil telugu hindi bengali while the group of free traders spoke gujarati and urdu mm. uh representing different social circles in exile in africa they try to live in equal uh, communities 
1911, when the system of hiring contracted workers ended, uh, those uh, who uh, survived to the end of the uh, terms were offered uh, either free return to India or alternatively a chance to settle in South Africa as free citizens. So the majority of them decided to settle in Africa. It, it was still better for them than coming back uh, home to India. And just, just as a little aside to that, when you say a lot of them chose to stay, did, would many of them have chosen because they maybe couldn't afford to get back to India or would they have been able to get back if they wished to? Uh, the, 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 uh, coming, it, the trip was also offered for free, but uh, because the uh, majority of those people came from um, unprivileged communities, they if they decided to come back they they had to start everything from the beginning mm. so it was it was difficult for them uh while in africa already they um they were offered um a land so they could settle and um i think that time in uh, south africa um situation economic situation was uh, um a bit better than uh, in india so uh, were they were they true intention workers did they owe a contract did they have to do a number of years work to pay for their passage for example uh no that it was offered to them for and that that brings us on to uh the early 20th century you were saying about 1911 and this is where lots of people would have actually come across uh this story because this is where mahatma gandhi um started his political activism wasn't it so how did that come about and then the creative uh, can you tell us more about the creation of the phoenix settlement and, and why and why it's called phoenix and why phoenix yes. was there yes that's true um in no time gandhi became the leader of south african indian community um it was in 1893 that um, mahatma gandhi went from india to natal in south africa as a, a young lawyer uh, he wasn't even 24 years old just uh, after uh, graduation um he was um, invited by um, Indian traders because they were facing um, some difficulties uh, while working. There was some conflict between uh, European settlers and, and them. So um, when he left Africa, he was uh, about 45 years old. It was in 1914, but uh, his popularity began in Durban. Um, in South Africa, uh, but soon after um, he was known across the world. While in Africa, Gandhi was able to transform the struggle for the commercial interest into the fight for the rights of all Indians in South Africa. For 22 years, he devoted himself to um, improving the humiliating conditions in which uh, his Indian compatriots and Africans as well lived. Um, he showed people a new way of uh, fighting against injustice, and that way was without the use of violence. Only uh, this way of proceeding was called the right one. So he wanted to fight for justice, but without using physical violence. Um, on May 2nd, 1894, uh, Gandhi formed uh, the Natal Indian Congress, in which he served as a secretary. It was the first uh, political uh, organization protecting the rights of Indians in Africa. 
Alternatively, similar organizations with the same goals and aspirations were established in different parts of uh, South Africa. It was Transvaal Indian Congress, Cape Indian Congress, and all of them later merged into one South African Indian Congress, which then began to work closely with uh, uh, the African National Congress, the party which is ruling till uh, today in the country. Um, in 1902, the idea of Satyagra was born. It was a social non-violent movement seeking to demonstrate uh, Indians' own beliefs peacefully. Uh, Gandhi portrayed uh, himself as a seeker of truth through love and non-resistance. Uh, Under his leadership, uh, Natal Indian Congress organized two very important demonstrations in 1908 and 1913. During these campaigns, um, a large part of Indian society manifested its willingness to fight without the use of violence. Um, in the same time, he began working on the publications of the weekly uh, Indian Opinion magazine. And a year later in Durban, he founded the Phoenix Settlement. It was a place uh, where people who assisted him could build a cooperative community. In Phoenix, uh, the community established an international printing press, museum, uh, library, a medical clinic, primary school, and uh, there was also built a house where Gandhi's son lived with his family. Gandhi himself stayed uh, in the settlement for a, a short time as he was more involved in his practice in Hasburg time. Um, why Phoenix? Um, this district of Durban uh, is located uh, about 20 kilometers northwest of city center. And it was uh, probably the oldest place where indentured workers were settling from the very beginning of their uh, presence in Africa. Um, to create the settlement, Gandhi purchased over uh, 40 hectares of land just for the purpose of that Satyagra social movement could successfully uh, develop. Um, life in Phoenix was based on equality uh, manifested in equal wages or possession of two acres of land. Um, this settlement uh, played a significant role as a religious and political asylum uh, and a focal point for resistance activists. The most historic place uh, was Gandhi's house. It was located at the top of the settlement. Uh, it was named Sarvodaya. It was like a symbol, his house on the top of the hill. Um, a key turning point for the Phoenix settlement was the riot. Uh, it was much later. It was in uh, 1985, and uh, which led to the destruction of several districts of Durban, including Phoenix, where the symbolic, traditional and peaceful life of Gandhi family ended. Hundreds of Indian families were deprived of their belongings and had to live um, in a temporary accommodation for like several months. Um, Phoenix stands till today and uh, now it's a large township uh, which is inhabited by a vibrant community of African, but mostly Indian population, still Indian population in South Africa.
so Teresa, just very quickly before we uh, move on to, to our next uh, a talking point, I just want to bring up, obviously we've mentioned about Gandhi and his role in, in, in with the Indian community in South Africa. Um, but it is to, to my understanding anyway, that he did actually make some pretty grim comments about black Africans. Is that something that you know about? Is something that he, you know, he, was he, you know, no, known at the time for making these kind of, of comments about the, the native African population? I think his uh, main reason for coming to Africa was to um, uh, take care, fight for his people. I think he had that idea in his head and which uh, developed later to um, uh, something like um, fighting for independence in India and um, South Africa. Um, they always had, uh, because it's multicultural, there's lots of different uh, people living there. They always had that uh, race issues. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Present, so I think um, I believe that uh, yes, he uh, might have said uh, things about Africans. I think, but mainly because um, he was um, he was caring for Indian people. He just wanted to Indians uh, to have. Um, decent life as well. However, um, his uh, Indian uh, National Indian Congress cooperated with uh, ANC. But I think that was uh, in later uh, time when uh, Gandhi left Africa. They just somehow found uh, uh, common things to fight together against uh, white supremacy against apartheid okay yeah thank you um so obviously with gandhi and then obviously we're moving on and the indian population in south africa does still continue as you say to this day um but there's something that happens isn't there in the 1950s there's the the group area act in in 1950 well there's a group of them isn't there there's about is it three of them but it's the one in 1950 that's really important isn't it and, and what it means for um, racial segregation in South Africa and, one, and then what it means for, for those Indian workers as a result of that segregation because um, it results in creations of new townships and things like that, doesn't it? Yes, yes. That In 1950, the apartheid government uh, enacted uh, the Group Area Act that was law that defined zone of ra racial segregation in, the, in South Africa. So individual racial groups uh, like whites, Africans, colored Indians, um, and other Asians were separated from each other and placed in different zones where they were ordered to live and work. And as a result of this division, uh, an uh, urban district called Chatswood was created in Durban, especially for the Indian community. Mm -hmm. It was for residents in 1964. 
is consisting of 11 unit section. It offered 21,000 homes for Indian people. So they were removed from uh, everywhere else uh, in Durban and uh, they were brought to Chatsworth. The main reason why an Indian township of such large size was created was to separate the residential central districts of Durban, inhabited by mostly by Europeans, by colonists, from the um, enormous African district called Amlazi, which was on the southern part of uh, Durban. So um, the government, I can say, squeezed the uh, uh, Indian uh, quarter in between. Um, Chatsworth uh, was and is a constantly developing uh, urban district uh, and it's situated at a distance of about 15 kilometers from uh, Durban city center. Um, it currently consists of a dozen smaller districts. They are like small towns. Uh, for example, they called Havenside, Bayview, um, Arena Park, uh, Buffelbosch, uh, Shalcross and a few more. But they are, they are better known as units. Uh, people uh, usually use uh, units and which are numbered from 1 to 11. For example, um, Haven site is called Unit 1. Arena Park is called Unit 6. Um, Chatsworth next to Phoenix and other places like Verulam. Uh, to this day, uh, they gather uh, people of Indian origin. Um, the people of Chatswood, because of the history, because of uh, they were forced to live there, they are very attached to their culture and their tradition because they were living together. So it was easier for them to um, cultivate the culture. Um, the visible evidence of uh, this is um, the Temple of Understanding. It's also called the Hare Krishna Temple, which is... Um, it, it was built um, open in 18, um, 1985 and until the end of apartheid era, it was a place of awakening faith and hope for the Indian people. And after 1994, when uh, democracy was restored in South Africa, it became symbol of uh, new South Africa and it was praised by um, very um, high state dignitaries, including Nelson Mandela, who was obviously a hope uh, for change uh, that time. Um, that temple is like a symbol for the culture and for um, resistance of uh, Indian people today. Uh, due to its magnificent architectural style, the temple has become a tourist attraction and is visited by over 2 million tourists every year. Um, the construction of the temple began in 1969 and uh, was designed in the shape of a lotus uh, flower. Uh, a few years later, um, the beautiful gardens were also designed around this temple and um, it is, um, that temple is the largest uh, Hare Krishna temple in Africa and uh, it has earned the reputation of being the most beautiful on the African continent. Um, it remains a spiritual oasis and a retreat for those who want to understand their purpose in life. It's a sanctuary from material chaos and a haven to society. So like a peaceful place where everybody can come and um, reflect uh, the life. Um, 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So near the temple, in the central place of Chatswood, uh, a beautiful park was created with fountains and green alleys and an even small amphitheater to commemorate the 100th anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi arrival in South Africa. And the park is called uh, Gandhi Cenentry Park. It is uh, located on the hill overlooking the temple, that temple of understanding on one side. And on the other side, there is um, visible, the vibrant shopping district of Chatsworth and uh, also the uh, residential settlements. It's a very beautiful uh, place. Um, Chatsworth is uh, one of Durban's largest and still poorest township uh, or district that we can call. And uh, over the years, um, it's, has grown uh, into a cosmopolitan district uh, in, and at the moment it's um, inhabited by over 450,000 residents in uh, located in 15 neighborhoods. Um, and, um, the district is characterized by a variety of architecture, a mixture of old and new styles of building. It exists for the five uh, last five decades, and uh, thanks to that, it, it created a specific lifestyle, resulting in the experience of a shared existence of the middle class derived from Hinduism, Christianity, and Islam, as well as from uh, various languages, mostly Tamil, Gujarati, and Hindi. Despite being cosmopolitan and diverse in nature, Chatswood is still dominated by the vast majority of Indians who um, in the today, 21st century, without forgetting their culture and heritage, call themselves citizens of South Africa. Mm. Sounds very peaceful, especially the, uh, the temple. Sounds very tranquil and beautiful. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the... The culture, you, you touched on it there, uh, about, the, about people who are there and their kind of subculture in, in the town and how they find themselves more recently as well. How do they uh, celebrate their, their time in South Africa and their, their culture? How's it evolved? Yes, that's true. Um, many people uh, may not still be aware of the fact that Durban has the highest concentration of Indians outside of India. 
when they first arrived in South Africa, they brought with them their rich heritage of, uh, for example, delicious spices, and uh, but uh, as well um, culture and art. But most importantly, they brought their humility, service to all uh, mankind, beautiful traditions, and dedication to labor. Now, um, 160 years later, uh, these core values remain within the Indian community and have evolved in, uh, to incorporate values and tenets from all uh, the other diverse cultures around. Today, Indians make up to 2.5% of the population in South Africa and have contributed to not only the diversity of the country, but also uh, the economy. Uh, local food in Durban, including uh, the iconic today, I think it's known around the world, uh, Bani Chow, mm -hmm. uh, has been created by Indian people and many famous curry spots in Durban are run by Indians. Uh, Bani Chow is a, a meal it's a, a curry which is uh, served in uh, bread. The hollow bread, the inside of the bread is taken out and um, yes. Delicious. <laughs> Very tasty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Indians as well is not only about the food, but they also run a large number of businesses in Durban and can still be found in former uh, areas like Phoenix, Chatsworth and... and obviously, um, in a large number. Um, their profession range from market farmers, shop assistants, municipal workers, to engineers, doctors, and teachers. Um, they also uh, are known to have their own uh, accents and slang, adding to the colorful landscape of uh, South African culture. Uh, today, their main uh, language is English, and uh, although the small number of representatives of the older generation still speak Indian languages, but uh, English is dominant, and but it has uh, its characteristic sounds, uh, which is uh, only uh, for that group of population. Uh, which over the decades developed uh, a specific. Uh, language style based on the standard of English language. Um, number of words and phrases were created as a result of mixing of the linguistic culture of Indian, English, Africans and African languages. Mm -hmm. um, that's, the, that's the language. It sounds different. Uh, it's specific uh, for that group of um, South Africans. Um, the most important, I mean, not the most important, but uh, one of the important uh, cultural features is also cinema. Um, it became a regular feature for many Indians uh, living in Durban. The films uh, had a positive impact for language retention and became a source of religious education for many uh, uh, of the Indians. Today, Indian movies are still widely watched, uh, and I'm talking about uh, the Bollywood movies. Uh, they still are uh, watched by younger and older generations, although most have English subtitles. They don't understand um, uh, Indian languages um, anymore. Uh, 
uh, but cinemas regularly sc screen Indian movies uh, to uh, cater for the uh, huge Indian population in Durban. Uh, and uh, their South African um, Indian film industry is raising as well. There is in recent years, um, a few very good movies was uh, made and um, reflecting that specific uh, culture and uh, uh, lifestyle of uh, Indians. Um, the Indians in Durban have uh, still contributed greatly towards the growth of uh, whole province. Uh, their festivals, uh, temples, mosques and uh, culture uh, continue to be a great uh, tourist attraction, mostly uh, today tourist attraction for whole city yeah wonderful um, is it just something that you just started to mention there and one thing that has always fascinated me uh, in the area in which I live is um we have a big Indian population up here as well and the thing that's always fascinated me ever since being a very small child is their celebration of religious festivals so like Diwali and, and so on you know with all the bright colours and they're just they're so fabulous to, 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 to watch. Um, how were such celebrations how, how do they carry out those celebrations in in South Africa the, the Indian community? Uh, it is very similar to uh, what uh, is happening around the world uh, within Indian uh, communities. Um, the majority of Indians that live in Durban are Hindus. Mm. Uh, in 1936, they were 79% uh, Hindus compared to 14% uh, percent of Muslims and even smaller percentage uh, were Christians. Uh, religious culture affected every as aspect uh, of life and uh, because it was part of folk tradition um, in India, local Hindus were able to transcend regional, cultural and linguistic differences. Um, the building, for example, of mosques and temples in uh, Natal was an important step in reconstructing religious life and uh, this became a community centers. Uh, initially, Indians erected uh, temples um, on the sugarcane estates. The earliest include those uh, at uh, Ambilo Road, uh, Mount Edgecombe, Newlands, uh, Seaview. They were uh, uh, places uh, in Durban. They were like at the beginning, uh, end of uh, 18, 19th century, beginning of 20th century. Um, the temples not only helped preserve religion, but became a source of security for many uh, Indians. Um, it was uh, here where uh, communal worship was experienced, uh, the births, marriages, death ceremonies were observed and festivals carried out. Um, the mosque, uh, which is uh, also uh, means to build community spirit, become the center of Muslim uh, worship and congregational uh, prayer. The first mosque uh, was built in uh, 1881 in Great Street in, in, in uh, Durban uh, city center. And it was built by passenger Indians, so that uh, free traders. And uh, till today, it's the largest mosque in the Southern Hemisphere. It's still serving um, its worshipers. Um, but because Hinduism was uh, more present than any other religion, um, 
So um, I'm going to focus a little bit uh, more of, of, on Hinduism. It was mainly thought at home why uh, temples only served as a source of community bonding. The religion was uh, initially thought by parents, while elders uh, recited mythological stories from Indian literature to the, to the young and um, religious stories um, they were told orally. Indian festivals and rituals are very visible markers of uh, racial and ethnic uh, identity and they um, strengthen the links between individuals and the um, communities in which uh, the people live. So uh, the most important and the most famous festivals uh, which are still uh, celebrated by Indians uh, are Festival Kavadi festival. It's celebrated uh, in February and May each year, and it honors uh, uh, the god Muruga, who Hindus believe has the power to cure people of their illness and get rid of misfortune. Uh, those who have been uh, afflicted with disease or sickness, uh, they fast, pray, and use Kavadi as a means of uh, penance. The cavity is made from bamboo, which is uh, from bamboo stick, which is bent into an arch and decorated with marigolds, um, also with peacock feathers and uh, palm shoots and coconuts. And there is a container filled with uh, milk, and it's attached to each corner, and which the devotee uses to wash the statues of uh, the deity. Um, the Kavadi festival is a very strong part of Hindu tradition, which uh, continues uh, till uh, today. So uh, another is uh, Mariaman, which is commonly known as a porridge prayers. It's a festival associated with uh, the goddess uh, who is believed to be the cause and cure of various infectious diseases, including smallpox and measles. During this festival, devotees offer cool foods such as porridge milk uh, or pumpkin or coconut to uh, the goddess uh, Mariam to cool her anger. The food is placed in a bucket around the temple and is eaten by uh, devotees. Um, another festival uh, called Draupadi uh, it's commonly known as firewalking. Uh, it's celebrated annually in March and it honors the goddess Draupadi, who is uh, regarded by Hindus as the model of duty, love, devotion, and um, who bore various trails with the great fortitude. The ceremony involves devotees walking through uh, a 10 meter fire. Those who have faith in the goddess believe that she walks the calls before, before them and calls it. And I think the most uh, known and the most common uh, festival, Diwali, it's as well uh, celebrated amongst Hindus communities in South Africa uh, and uh, I think everywhere around the world. Uh, known as Festival of Lights, it is celebrated at the end of the autumn harvest in India with uh, ceremonial worship of the goddess of wealth and learning. And uh, yeah, as I said, there's 
most known Hindu festival around the world? Um, it must be quite a sight to, to see that. Um, you know, the, with the blend of South African and Indian cultures, that must be amazing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, as one of the three pillars of Durban's culture, uh, the Indian, Indian dysphoria uh, and how that makes up um, part of the culture? Uh, culture and heritage, however, is for people of the uh, South Africa great wealth. Although um, they are firmly attached to their roots, they live in a country where uh, the guiding principle is Ubuntu. It's a philosophical and ethical term uh, derived from the Nguni languages, so the, the African uh, indigenous, which means humanity and is interpreted in the same way I am because you are. So the, that's the main principle, despite all many cultures um, present in a country. Uh, Durban has a special place on the The metropolis located at the tip of the African continent plays an important economic, political and cultural role. Um, the city has a cosmopolitan status uh, because it is dominated by a mixture of cultures that shaped its uh, common history. Um, Durban's tripolar culture has a strong impact uh, on the rest of the country, and it has become a solid pillar in the creation of uh, Rainbow Nation. Uh, the South African nation is called Rainbow Nation because of the mix of many cultures. Uh, the three cultural pillars of Durban are uh, the Zulu culture, the Indian culture, and the culture influenced by European settlers. And because of that, whole province, Guazulu Natal province, is considered to be the most beautiful, interesting, and uh, culturally diverse of all the nine provinces of South Africa. Uh, it's for generation. Uh, inhabited by Zulus, who since the 19th century strengthened their position and to this day are the most dominant group of the province. Uh, so that's, I can say that first, uh, oh, one of the third pillars, Zulu culture can be, um, the culture can be visually described as multicolored, which fits perfectly with the common name of South Africa, <laughs> Rainbow Nation. The Zulu people uh, make up 22% uh, of over 50 million inhabitants in the whole country. They live mostly concentrated between Johannesburg and Durban, but uh, mostly in uh, KwaZulu-Natal province. Their language is the most popular uh, in South Africa. Uh, we have to remember that South Africa has 11 official languages. So the Zulu is the most popular and it's most spoken, either as a first or second or third language. It's used uh, by over 11 and a half million people uh, nationwide. Uh, Zulus treat their culture with great respect. Uh, they cherish the oldest rituals, preserving their tradition, organizing various kinds of ceremonies. They deeply believe in the uh, spiritual presence of ancestors and through birth, marriage and funeral ceremonies provide a, an opportunity to communicate with them in a spiritual way. So that's the um, Zulu culture. Um, 
the other one is um, influenced by European settlers and it dates back uh, to the medieval times uh, where the first European um, who reached uh, that part of the world, it was um, end of 15th century. Uh, that was um, Bartolomeo Diaz, the Portuguese sailor. Um, he uh, sailed to Cape of Good Hope. Then a um, few years later, um, during Christmas season, Vasco da Gama reached the, uh, exactly Natal um, area. And because it was on Christmas time, he called the land Natal, which means Christmas in uh, Portuguese. Mm. Uh, and this name obviously remains unchanged to this day and has in the times of uh, uh, apartheid regime, uh, regime uh, in Durban and uh, in the whole South Africa, many Europeans began to settle. There was like, lots of uh, migrants coming from different European countries, uh, including Greeks, Italians, Portuguese, Poles, who still uh, contribute uh, new cultural elements into the city's rich history. Um, European culture, uh, cultural elements are the most no noticeable on the, uh, for example, culinary level and also um, thanks to the presence of diplomatic missions from European countries um, and the um, organization of exhibitions, concerts and other cultural uh, events. So that's the second pillar of the um, Durban multicultural uh, being and uh, the third one or the first one uh, are, um, is Indian. So multiculturalism of Durban uh, in itself in the interpretation of that three main cultures, rich and dominant Zulu, Hindu um, and uh, European culture. All these three pillars of the city are equally supported by government and local authorities. Um, now this is how um, Indians found themselves in that uh, place uh, in Durban in uh, South Africa. Um, they, uh, after arrival in 19th and 20th century, they became, I can say, salt of the future modern Indian community of South Africa. Um, although they are only a little over 3% uh, of the South African population, their impact on the nation has been significant. Indians integrated with society and despite the constant uh, blending with the South African strongly imposing culture, they retained their unique identity. Today, they say about themselves, they are South Africans. They like to be associated with that um, multicultural um, being of uh, South Africa. Yeah. Well, just I just want to throw in very, very quickly, I don't need just a little bit of a, a summing up then on an absolutely fascinating topic. Um, how would you say today um, the Indian diaspora, um, how they are, how they live their lives in South Africa now? Are they, are they an integrated community? Um, have things improved for them? Obviously, they've had some struggles along with the, with the apartheid and things like that. Are they... Uh, community that is well grounded in their standing in South Africa? 
Yes, they are. Um, after so many generations, six or so generations, they uh, perfectly blended into uh, uh, African uh, reality. Mm. They are part of a uh, nation. Uh, obviously, all of them, all nation is struggling uh, due to economic uh, and or um, other uh, problems. Yeah. But... Uh, if we can say, uh, if we can talk about equality between uh, different uh, race groups, they are the same having um, access to education, healthcare, um, they equally um, uh, work uh, in um, different uh, levels of um, life. Um, so, yes, they are um, strong part of um uh, the nation and um Teresa that was absolutely fascinating I, I've learned so much in this in this session that there's so much I didn't have any any clue about so thank you so much for coming on for us today Teresa um and Marcus and myself will be signing off and we'll I'm sure you'll hear from us at some point listeners in the future so thank you Teresa and thanks for joining us on History Hack Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed. Thank you so much. Thanks was so much. It was really interesting and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you. Thank you. You can help us at History Hack by joining us via Patreon. It takes quite a lot of effort and a lot of work of quite a big team now to keep us going. And so if you could donate as little as £3 a month, it would be massively appreciated by all of us. There's different levels because Princess Marcus has set it all up with uh, varying rewards and things. So do have a look. Do join us. There's uh, an exclusive Facebook group as well and you could be part of all of it. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash hack history or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.